0: Why don't we give it up for God here in this place? Why don't you turn around, greet somebody, give them a high five, give them a hug, give them a kiss on the cheek based on the level of your relationship with them. If you don't know them, probably not a good idea to kiss them on the cheek, okay? Uh, Some single people are like, I love this church. Anyways. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, before we kind of dive into today, we have, we have something cool coming up here in two weeks. Everybody say, in two weeks... In two weeks, we have our 10-year anniversary service as a church, and this is a great time. Uh, uh, we're, we're announcing it because we always have people every year that get mad because this is actually our, what we call Free T-Shirt Sunday. It's, it's when we give out new I Love My Church T-Shirts, and so people ask me all the time, how do I get one of those I Love My Church T-Shirts? You come September 21st or 22nd at 4.30, 6.15 on Saturday night or 9, 10, 15, 11.30 on Sunday. Listen, and... and you can't come and your spouse not be here and be like, can I get one for my husband? No, you cannot. It's you're here, you get one. And that's, for, that's from babies all the way to adults. We, we have shirts for everybody. And so we're going to have a party afterwards. We might even have a DJ outside. We're going to do all kinds. We're going to party like it's 19 We're going to show Prince what's up. Anyways... So, good time. Make sure you're here that weekend. It's a Sunday and a Saturday night. You don't want to miss. Also, listen, hey, our church is growing like crazy, and uh, this, this service is getting pretty full if you uh, if you don't need to come to this service Tom could I encourage you to come out to Saturday night to one of our services and make room for some other people that are still walking into church right now uh, it would help us out with making first-time guests feel welcome and warm and like they have a place here and not like we're sitting them in the back corner where they can't see anything and so so if you can help us out man I appreciate it if if this is the only service you can come to please come to this service uh, but I'm just throwing it out there we could use your help it's amazing what God God is doing here in our church anyways we began this series called what are you waiting for a couple of weeks ago and we've been talking in this series about how do we how do we make some steps forward how do we take some steps forward especially in areas of our lives where we're uh, fearful in where we're apprehensive where we're not really sure like there's some fear of the unknown that is out there like how do we move forward and take ground and live the life that God has always intended us to live. And we've been talking about the fact that, that in the four Gospels in the New Testament, Jesus said a, a, a set of phrases more than any other set of phrases. In fact, it was his probably most popular subject line. It was this idea that he would tell people, do not fear, don't be afraid, take courage, take heart. 21 times in the New Testament, he said those kind of phrases. In fact, 15 times, he said, do not be afraid. And I think the reason Jesus was addressing this issue of fear isn't because he was just running into people who were dealing with fear. He knew that every single one of us on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis would would be dealing with fears in our life. And throughout this series, we've been talking about the fact that the goal of this series is not that that we would... uh, eradicate fear from our life or we would be fearless in life. In fact, we said the goal is is not how do I fear less. The goal of this series is how do I begin to trust God more? How do I have a greater trust in the faithfulness of God in my life so that while I'm dealing with fear, I step out in faith? Because if you're dealing with fear today, if you're in a fearful place, you don't really have a fear problem. What you have is a faith problem. And so we need to grow in our faith, we need to develop our faith to a greater level so that we can walk in the freedom and the purpose and the responsibility that God has for every single one of our lives. And so I was studying this week, thinking about this idea of fear, thinking about this idea of faith, and, and I, I started thinking about our emotions, and I found this study that was talking about the most expressed emotions in life what do you think is the most expressed emotion in the human psyche what is the one emotion that we express more than any other emotion go on throw your answers out fear anger some of y'all got it right it's love the most expressed emotion in the human psyche throughout your lifetime will be this emotion of love. You're going to express love through words, through actions. When you're a little kid, you express it by punching girls that you like. You know, you have some weird ways of expressing it. Come on, as a kid, right? If you liked a girl when you were like six years old, what do you do? You beat her up because that's like, it's like, hey, I like you. Let me put you in a headlock. I don't know what it is. It's like, it's very affectionate. It's like an early form of hugging. Um, <laughs> But do you know what the second most expressed emotion is? Go ahead, throw it out. Anger, fear, sadness—all wrong. <laughs> I, I appreciate you playing the game, though. Second most expressed emotion in the human psyche is regret. Interesting, huh? It's this idea: I could have, but I didn't. I should have, but I didn't. I had the opportunity to but I didn't. I could have asked her out on a date, but I didn't. I could have put my resume in for that job, but I was afraid to. I could have taken that step of faith and gone on a mission trip, but I was overwhelmed by anxiety of planes. I could have, but I didn't. And I started thinking about the fact that in life, a lot of us are going to get to the end of our life, and we're going to have a lot of regrets. And when you look back on your regrets, it comes down to three words to why you have a regret. Lack of faith. Lack of faith in your dateability or your ability or your anxiety that you could get over it or the fact that God would be with you in those moments. You didn't have enough faith to move forward in those moments, and so it was a lack of faith. And it got me thinking about the fact that a lot of us, we we say we have faith, but we also have doubt in our life. Anybody else like that where you you have some faith, but you also got some doubts? Anybody, raise your hands. A couple of you. What's interesting to me is, like, I have a lot of faith, Like, I have tons of faith. Like, Jeffrey, Jeff, dude, I got so much faith, and Jeff is going to do great things in life. He's going to go places. He's going to be somebody. But I turn around, and I start looking at me, and I have very little faith. Isn't it funny how you can have faith for other people, but yet no faith for yourself? Anybody else like that? It's like you believe the best for somebody else's life, but when it comes to your life, you're like, ah, I'm not really sure. And why is it that there is this, internal battle that is going on within all of us. We can believe we can have some faith and we cannot have faith at the same time. And if that's you here today, which I believe is a lot of us, because that's me included, I believe that God wants to teach us some things out of this story in Mark chapter nine. And it's a story about a dad who is in a very similar situation. He has a demon possessed son and uh, he, he comes to Jesus, his disciples, Jesus and three of his disciples are up on a mountain and this dad approaches the other nod that are down on the, the bottom of the valley, and he asks them, hey, can you help my son out? And, and they didn't have the ability to do it. And so Jesus and the three disciples are coming down, and there's an argument that's taking place in Mark chapter 9. This is what it says in verse 16. Jesus asked, what are you arguing about with them? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive with the Spirit, but they could not. And then Jesus gets some, like, major attitude right here, which I love. I love that Jesus got attitude. It gives me hope because I get attitude. Anybody else get some attitude in life? Anybody else have attitude? Go on, raise your hands. Just feel, be proud about it. I got attitude, yeah. As a guy over here is like, yeah, I kind of get attitude. Like, Laughter. So aggressive, sir. So aggressive. Jesus replied, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus like, y'all suck. That's like basically what Jesus said right there. That's the new TJ version. It's not quite in in print yet, but it's there. Uh, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. "Is often thrown him into fire and water to kill him. Then the dad goes, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus is like, say What? If you can, do you know who you're talking to right here? Like, I don't know about you, but I read scripture how I would react in that moment. Like, I'm healing people. Dead people are getting up. Like, I'm like, if I can, say my name. Say my name. (laughs) Anyways, again, conjecture. Jesus didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That word "exclaimed," there means to croak croak like a raven. Like he screamed at the top of his lungs, I do believe. And I would do that, but my wife said I wasn't allowed to. So, so he screams at the top of his lungs, I believe. And then he's like, but help me with my unbelief. Which I feel like is so many of us in here, which is a depiction of myself. Man, God, I believe, but I've still got some doubts in life. I still got some fears, and I started thinking about, like, why, why is there this imbalance inside of us? Like, why, why do we believe and yet doubt at the same time? And I think this story gives us some of the reasons why we face doubts in our life. Like, some of the things that contribute to our doubt, if you're taking notes today, some of the things that contribute to our doubt is we believe like the people around us. We get infected by the doubters that are around us. That's why Jesus said, man, you unbelieving generation, like how long am I going to have to be with you? Like why why do I have to stick around you? Why? Because people in that day and age, they were skeptical about everything Jesus was doing. They were skeptical. Like they didn't believe anything. It kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? What do we say? I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, so you guys have said that before. See, the problem with that is that is not faith. That's called certainty. See, when you see it, that's when you're certain of something. That doesn't require any faith. And God is not asking us to live a certain life. He's asking us to live a faithful life. The problem is is we get surrounded by other people that are haters and doubters. And you know what they do? They infect our life. Have you noticed that negative people are always hanging out with negative people? They didn't all start out that way. What happened is that somebody that was negative got involved in a relationship, and they started creating negativity in that other person. So what they'd get together and do is they start talking about things, being negative about situations. they invite somebody else in that conversation. Before long, that third person gets infected, and all of a sudden, you've got a crowd. Have you noticed angry people hang out with lots of other angry people? Have you noticed successful people don't hang out with negative people? Have you noticed that happy people aren't listening to critical people? They're not in their circles. Why? Because they know that that critical person is going to infect their happiness. I'll tell you something as your pastor. Man, if, if, you're, if you're critical and you're negative or you're depressing and I see you in the grocery store and I turn down your aisle, I will turn right back around and go three other aisles down. I'll be like, please, Jesus, don't let me run into them. Like, I will pray to God to avoid you. In Jesus' name. Why? Because I don't, I don't want to be infected by your negativity. Another reason... Is we believe that God is fickle. We have some bad theology. We think that that God likes some people and He doesn't like other people. And we think that it's based on what we do. And so if, if I'm good today, God is all about me. But if I screw up today, God is not about me. Like He's He's a hater right now. And so like we don't we don't know where He's gonna be. And, and what ends up Causing us to think is that God is confusing. Like, am I on his good side today? Am I on his bad side today? Like, what side am I on? And this dad, he had lost hope. And here's what happens when we're in that situation. We know that God can. We're just wondering if he will. And the reality is, is we know he can, but what ends up happening is we doubt that he will. That's why Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes, the problem is, is we get frustrated because we're flip-flopping back and forth. Like, do I have faith or do I doubt? And we end up like David was in Psalms 10. Why, oh, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Because what happens is, is, is we get in times of trouble and our vision of God gets cloudy. Anytime our vision of God gets cloudy by our problems, all of a sudden we have this perception that God is far off when actually God is always with us. And what we do in those moments because we think God is far off, we start trying to make deals with God. Listen, God, if you will bail me out of this situation, I will follow you all the days of my life. Anybody ever thrown the Hail Mary prayer up? <laughs> like, it's like, God, if you'll just save me from this, I will feed poor kids in Somalia for the rest of my life. <laughs> we think it's a negotiation, like God's a negotiator, because we've lost perspective. And finally, we doubt because we believe, sort of. We have this kind of, sort of, kind of faith. That's why the boy's father exclaimed in verse 24, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And here's what happens is when we believe and when we doubt, internally what happens is our soul is just in a confused state. It's like, where where am I at? Like, where is my stability of surety inside of me? Is it in my doubt or is it in my trust? Like, where is that lying within me? And we feel like nothing is working out. And what happens is we become unstable internally, which causes us to be unstable physically in life. That's why James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 says when you ask, you got to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Listen, church, we either believe God can do it or we're just playing church. We either trust God or we're just living in fairy tale lands. And see, what I know about us as a whole, I'm saying our church, what I know about Americans in general, is that uh, they've polled people, 70.6% of people believe in God. They believe that there is a higher power that is out there, that there is some sort of creator out there. There is a God. In fact, they would say that they are a Christian. The only problem with that is while we believe in God, very few of us actually believe God. And the single most important thing in our lives is what we believe about God. It's where we stand. What do we believe about God? See, so many people think faith is based on outcomes. Like, okay, God, I trust you for this. God's got to do this. See, faith is not based on an outcome. Faith is based on this understanding who God is, what is his nature, and what is his character. Because if you understand the character and the nature of God, you'll have faith in the character and nature of a person more than the outcomes. Because outcomes are always changing. Outcomes are always different. But if you understand the character and nature of God, it changes everything. Because if you know that God is good, that God is loving, that God is peace, that God has got a purpose and plan, the outcome of what's happening in that moment does not matter in the grand scheme of who God is and what he wants to do in your life. And you can put surety and trust in that. And we learned this the hard way. We learned the faithfulness of God in the most desperate moments. Because so many times we get so overwhelmed with, I want this outcome. I want this outcome. I want this outcome. But we forget that God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we're saying, God, if you'll do this in my life, then I know I will trust you. And God's like, no, no, no. You just need to trust in who I am. Because what you think is so good for your life or what you think is the perfect plan for your life is way different than my plan for your life. But if you'll trust in my nature, who I've been since day one till the end, a God that loves and cares and will sacrifice and do whatever it takes to reestablish connection and relationship from you with you, and it'll change everything. My wife and I, we've been married for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years this next year. It's amazing she's lasted that long. Um, <laughs> she is a godly woman, yeah. Uh, th- those are people that know me. They're, they're clapping. They're like, she is very godly. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the, f- the first, we, we got married when we were super young, uh, like 12 and... <laughs> We got married at 21, and for the first seven years of our life, man, we, we we're we were preparing for, for kids and children. And about seven years in, we we realized, man, something's something's not going right. We figured out what produces children. We just hadn't accomplished that yet. And so, um, we we got we got to this point where we we're like, hey, what's what's going on? We started visiting doctors. We started doing all these things. And um, and man, we spent a long time going through this this process. We finally got to like the best uh fertility doctor in the state of Florida he's in the Tampa area and and we were seeing him and and we we got to where we were coming to like our final meeting he had called us in he said hey all the last and final test results of all the stuff we've ran has come in you guys need to come up and see me and I remember we got to the doctor's office we got there a little bit earlier we're sitting in our car and um and we were like man what's gonna happen you know we're we're like All we've wanted is to have kids. And so we have this outcome of, man, we just want to have kids. And I remember Shayla and I sitting there and deciding before we ever went in that meeting, listen, no matter what that doctor says to us, we know that our God loves us. He cares for us. He's got a plan for our life. He is a comforter. He is a God of peace. And so no matter what that doctor says, when we get back in this car, we're going to choose to worship God. And uh, we went into that doctor's meeting, and we got the worst news we could ever get in our life. That we would never be able to have kids, and I remember we came and we got back in our car that day, and we're just sitting, we're just stunned, you know. Like you ever just got like sucker punched, like you don't even know what happened. Maybe you haven't. It it, it stings, and you're just like in shock in that moment. And we are we we are stung, and we are in shock, and I remember tears are just coming down my face, and I looked over, and tears are just coming down Shayla's face, and. And we looked at each other and said, okay, let's worship God on the way home. And we started that car and we put on worship music and we worshiped God because even in spite of the outcome, which was not what we wanted, we know that we had a good God. That's right. A God that was right there to comfort us in the midst of the greatest pain we were ever experiencing. Why? Because we knew the character and the nature of our God. And our faith was in his character and nature, not the outcomes that we got. And if you're here today and you've been relying on outcomes, you're going to be sorely disappointed with God. Because God is not an outcome-based God. God is a God who is a character-based God. He's a relational God. And he, he has good things for you, and he loves you, and he cares for you. But again, his ways are not always the same as our ways. His desires for our life and our desires for our life are not always in alignment. And so a lot of us, we have sort of faith because we believe for this outcome. And God's like, I've got a different direction for you. And he's saying, listen today, you need to stop doubting those things and you need to start trusting that I am a good God and I care for you and I want to do some things in your life. But you've got to understand what faith is. And if you're taking notes today, in Hebrews chapter 11, this is what faith is. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That word sure there means uh, it's confidence in what one knows. You got to be confident in what you know about God. The fact that God is loving and kind and graceful and merciful and generous and wants to do great things in your life. You got to be you got to be sure of that and you've also got to be certain, established beyond doubt in what you don't see. Even when you don't see it in an outcome aspect, you got to be sure that that's who God is. It is this attitude that we have to take on in life. And for a lot of us, what we need to have is we need to have an internal attitude adjustment when it comes to faith. It's something that we walk in because we're sure and certain that we know who the character and the nature of our God is. And that character and that nature does not change. And what Jesus is teaching here is he's saying, hey, listen, there's some things that you can grab hold of that are going to give you some attitude that's going to be an attitude of faith. If you're taking notes today, number one is this. Your authority comes through his name. You want some faith today? You need to understand that your authority comes through his name. He says in verse 25 through 7, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out and never enter him again. He says, I command you. Why? Because there is authority and the power in the name of Jesus in our life. And you gotta understand that Jesus is a higher authority than any authority here on earth. And I learned this back when I was in high school. I had a my senior year, my favorite class was study hall. I did amazing in it, like straight A's all, all my senior year. Uh, and my study hall was ran by my football coach, coach Paul Meckley from Southeast High School. And uh and so I, because I was on the football team, he had errands that he needed ran. And so what he would do is he'd be like, Mac, I need you to go run some errands for me. And what he would do is he would give me this thing called a hall pass. He would put his name on it, Coach Meckley, TJ McCormick. He said, hey, go do this for me. And so what I would do is i take that hall pass and I'd go visit my friends in their classroom i like, roll up in the class. I'd be like, hey, what's up? Coming with me. They're like, what are you doing out of class? i am like, hall pass. You know, and I I just, like, walked around. Why? Because I had this authority. In fact, I'll never forget that one of the security guards was another football coach. He saw me from across the school, and he started yelling at me, you better get back to class. You Get over here right now. You're in so much trouble. And I walked out, and I was like, what's the problem? And he's like, man, you're not supposed to be out here. And I pulled out the hall pass. I was like, what's up, sucker? You know, I, was like, I didn't say that. I wanted to, but I, like... Why? It gave me authority to be places because I had a greater power's name in my hand. What Jesus is teaching us is that principalities, the things that are holding you back in life, the darkness that's in this world has to submit to a higher authority name. It's the name of Jesus that is above every other name, that at his name every knee will bow and every tongue confess here on heaven and on earth that he is Lord. Why? Because his name is powerful, and we start to understand that we have some spiritual authority based on his name. We'll start to realize that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, that he is Jehovah Nisi, the banner over us, that he is Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Jehovah Shema, he's the God that's there. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, and we start taking that authority. It changes things. It enables us to walk in faith. Number two, your confidence comes through relationship. Your authority comes from Jesus. Your confidence comes from a relationship with him. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, hey, why, why, why wouldn't this one come out? And they said, he goes, this one only comes out by prayer. What Jesus was saying to them is, listen, the more you spend time with God, the more you develop your relationship with God, the more confidence you're going to have in life the more understanding of who God is is going to take place in your life. In fact, the Bible tells us in in Hebrews, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I actually think that's Romans, but Romans 10, 17, is that right? Yeah, (laughs) Romans 10, 17. Uh, Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So what does that mean? If we need faith in our life, we have to get in God's word. We have to put God's word in our hearts. We have to start to put this, read this, talk it out loud. Why? Because that's how our faith is developed. A lot of us are waiting on a word from God, and God's like, I've given you about 1,500 pages of words. And it'll speak to you every day that you get it, and you're like, well, I started reading, I don't understand that. Keep reading, because you might understand something tomorrow. Listen, if you stopped every time you didn't understand something, you would never accomplish anything. Why do we do that with God? God? Maybe God is trying to get you to the next sentence that you will understand. Maybe he's trying to get you to a different point in your life. Maybe he's trying to grow you and develop you a little bit. Maybe he's trying to get you to address some areas of life. Because so many of us, here's what happens in our life. We got problems. And here's what we do. We got sin that's holding us back in life. We got loss that has happened that we're dealing with. We've got Fear that's taking place inside of us. Some of us have failed at some things in life. Others of us struggle in different areas that are overwhelming us. We have doubts inside of us that are just like so big. Some of us have some issues with cats, me included. (laughs) We'll just just leave that one over here because I don't. We got our past that is overwhelming to us. And then we have God. And here's what we do. Most of us, we have a separate life when it comes to God, and then we have our reality. And our confidence comes through relationship. The problem is, is we have God, and God fits in an hour and five minutes Sunday morning at 10.15. God, I love you. I worship you. And then we put him right here, and then we go back to worrying and doubting and fearing and dealing with our past and our fears and our loss and the sin that's in our life. And we separate these two, and we wonder why we don't have confidence in this. And what I've found is that you're as close to God as you want to be. And God's saying, hey, listen, I don't want to be separate from these things. I want to be involved in your life, but you've got to come close to me. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, he said do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed by all this stuff. Trust in God and trust also in me. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, take God and put him in the middle of this. Trust me more. The problem is, is you can't will yourself to trust, can you? Like the last time, I could get up here every week and go, trust God more, trust God more, trust God more. That's not going to do anything for you. So how do you actually trust God more? You get to know him better. And as you get to know God better, all of a sudden you'll start to realize that God is faithful. That God is just. That God is kind. That God is loving. That God is a God of peace. The God's a God of healing and restoration. He is the chain breaker, the heaven maker. He is the life changer of this world. But until you get to know him, you'll never know that. And you'll think that he's just an hour on Sunday that doesn't want to be involved in the reality of your life. And for some of us, the greatest thing that we can do here today is we can get to know him so that we can trust him at a greater level so that he can impact our life. Number three, when you begin to realize that, you'll begin to realize that your power comes through the cross. Because Jesus, at the end of this... This story kind of throws this, this, this random verse out there that people are like, like, what does that even do? How does that even go with this? It says he ends his teaching with this. In verse 31, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. What he's letting them know is that the final blow to all of these things that we are dealing with in life here today is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross. He's letting them know that the enemy is going down because of one thing, and that is the power of the cross. That's why in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And here's what we need to realize today. There are benefits to the cross that most of us are not taking advantage of. God's got a benefit package that will absolutely change and transform your life. Jesus, when he hung on this cross, he defeated our past. He overcame our doubts. He he took over on our failure. He pushed us through on our struggle. He helped us deal with our loss. He helped us overcome our fear, and he defeated sin. He defeated the grave. And there's power in the cross. But you don't get the power, and you don't understand the power until you understand your relationship. Because here's what it is: the, the cross is the bridge between God and us. The problem is, is God is so far away from our problems in life that, that we don't see much power in God. We're like, God isn't doing much because we keep them boxed into an hour on Sunday. And what God is saying is, He's saying, listen. I, I, I'm here and I am the fulcrum in your life. And if you don't know what a fulcrum is, it's a source of power in your life that creates force for an object. And what he says is he says, listen, the closer you get, to, you, uh, you get to me and you start bringing me into your life, all of a sudden what it does is it brings power to my cross. And when it gets power to my cross and you take a step of faith and you start trusting me, when you put your faith in that relationship, boom, All of that stuff that you've been dealing with. All of it. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit you all over there. (laughs) All of it gets taken care of. Here's the crazy part. 99% of what God wants to do in your life, he's going to do himself. I don't know why it works this way, but he requires 1% from us. He requires this step of faith to enable the 99. Our 1% of natural faith enables 99 of supernatural power in our lives. And so part of the question we've been asking you is, is what are you waiting for? Some of you are waiting for God to do his 99, then you're like, I'll take the 1%. But that's not how it works. God says, you take the first step, you draw near to me, and here's what I'll do. I'll meet you right there. You take that step of faith and you trust and you start to involve me in your life and watch what happens in your life. So what is that step that God is challenging you today in? What is that 1% that you need to do to enable and empower God's 99 in your life? What is that step of faith? love what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says. It says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. As we start to seek him, what he does is he says, listen, there's all these benefits in my cross. And there's there's power in this, but it requires faith. It is impossible to please me without faith. But we can also flip that. With faith, it's impossible not to please God. And so some of us, we need to take a step of faith today. We need to step out of our comfort zone because so many of us, we've been wanting to live in comfort when God has been calling us into faith. And maybe today is the day you need to take that step. I don't know what it is for you. I don't care what it is for you. I know that God is just waiting. What are you waiting for? And if he could say something to you today, he'd be like, what are you waiting for? With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you've got a sort of kind of faith. And God is challenging you, and today's the day you need to take a step. Maybe for others of you, you're here. And as we're talking about a relationship with God, you're going, Pastor TJ, man, I don't don't have that at all. And maybe the 1% you need to take today is the 1%, which is the greatest step you could ever take, which is a step towards relationship with God. The fact that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to give you some authority, to give you confidence in relationship, to give you power through the cross so that you could see God move and shape and transform your life. And maybe today you need to begin a relationship with him. Or maybe you're here and you kind of drifted off and you need to come back into a relationship with with Jesus here today. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, we'd love to pray with you on the count of three. If you just slip your hand up, one, two, three. Man, hands going up all over the place. Shayla, would you lead them in?